Hello, and welcome to our podcast, The Midnight Ramblings. I'm Jenny Silverstein, and I'm with my dear friend from Ledoux Junior High, Carrie Ofstein Rosenthal. If you are joining us for the first time and you're wondering what this is all about, Carrie and I are two friends who can no longer sleep at night. So we decided the best thing to do would be to create a podcast about what we and others think about when we can't sleep. So, as we like to say, let's get ready to ramble. Lewis Goldman. Yay. That was a very good one. So many people are tentative, and I like those who are not. So that is great. <laughs> Today, our guest is Lewis Goldman. Lewis and his wife, Rebecca, grew up in St. Louis and moved to Orlando, Florida a few years ago. They have been married for 22 years and have three sons, Max, Sammy of Blessed Memory, and Joseph of Blessed Memory since 2002. Lewis has been a corporate consultant in the area of training and development. He enjoys Disney World, playing the piano, lounging in the pool, and volunteering at his synagogue. He's the author of the children's book, A Mad Scientist's Story, which can be purchased now on Amazon. And in his long ago high school life, Lewis produced and directed a myriad of theatrical productions, most of which Jenny and I were a part of. And if you want to see a picture of that, go to the homepage of our website, because Jenny and I are 16 or 17, and we're in one of his productions, of, which was Godspell. So having said all that, please welcome our dear and impressive friend, Lewis Goldman, to the podcast. Welcome, Lewis. Welcome, Lewis. <laughs> Hello, Carrie. Hello, Jenny. It's so good to be with you, and thank you for inviting me. So, uh, Lewis, it is our pleasure, and I just want to say, um, so Lewis also went to our high school, so we have known Lewis for a very long time. Um, I, Lewis is a piano player, and it's very likely and hopeful that he'll, uh, he's sitting next to his piano, so at some point we may have to just, like, just go into song like we're in a musical or something. So if you feel <laughs> it's like it's appropriate, Lewis, just start playing the, the appropriate song, and, and we will- Absolutely. We'll Okay, so on this podcast, what we like to do is we like to ask our guests what they think about when they can't sleep. Uh, so I'm going to just ask you, what do you think about when you can't sleep? I will often think about my next trip to Disney World, my next visit over to Disney World, which is just about a 15-minute drive from our house. You can get from our house to the Disney World parking lot, the Magic Kingdom parking lot, in about 15, 18 minutes. And so I'll sometimes lay awake, and I'm like, hmm, I wonder, you know, can I find time, a couple hours on my day tomorrow? Can I get over there? Um, what rides am I going to do? What shows can I go see while I'm there? So that is something I do think about. Do you go with your wife, by yourself, with your son? All of the above. Sometimes if it's if it's just in the middle of the day, like if I've got meetings in the morning and then I've got, you know, a free period like between 2 o'clock and 5 o'clock or something, I'll just go for a couple hours. And I'll go and park and like take the two, uh, there's a two mile walking path that you can take to get over to the Magic Kingdom, go in, see a parade, see a show, and then maybe have a snack and then walk back. And so I've done, you know, like a four and a half mile walk and I've had some entertainment and I get out of the house and it's fun. Okay, so Lewis, we just, let me just go there. It is in some ways, you're, let's, for our listeners, Lewis, you're 53. And, you know, it is, Disney is known often as a place for children. Can you talk about why you feel such a connection and a relationship with Disney? And you've recently moved there, correct? Yeah, we moved here. We lived in St. Louis our whole lives. Uh, Rebecca grew up in Clayton. I grew up in, in Creve Corps. 
and we uh, we moved here. It's coming up on four years. Um, so why the connection? Well, we came here. Actually, Rebecca and I both came here as kids with our family, and it turned out we had both come here in August of 1977. My dad found he had he was a, he was an attorney, and he found we were here on a legal convention that they had at the Contemporary Resort, and. He found just maybe seven or eight years ago this slip of paper that had his confirmation from our travel plans for the trip. Oh, so we had the date that we were there in August. And so I told Rebecca about it. And she said, you know, I think we were there around that time. And she asked her dad, and he didn't have the actual dates. But he said, oh, yeah, we were there in August of 77. We stayed at the same exact resort. Wow. So, so then I went back, and I'm looking through my pictures. And I wouldn't wouldn't it be awesome if, like, there's a picture of my father-in-law standing in the background of one of these photos? I didn't find that. But it's quite possible that Rebecca and I were there at the same time. So it was kind of a fun connection. Well, you were answering the question what it was about Disney World that you you said you went there as a child. What about Disney? Like, what has drawn you to Orlando and Disney to move? It sounds like you moved there for it. We would travel here uh, on vacation a lot. Um, and when we would, we came a couple of times before we had kids. Well, I guess once before we had kids. And it's a real exhausting experience, as anybody who goes to has been to Disney World knows. It's really exhausting, particularly when you're there on vacation, because you want to get the most out of it. And you get there when it opens at nine o'clock, and you stay until it closes at eleven, and then you go to you get back and you go to bed, and you got to get up again the next morning at seven thirty. So it's really exhausting. And I remember us saying, "This is no place to bring kids." <laughs> and. Anyway, we <laughs> came back once after Sammy and Joseph were born, when they were still babies, and they stayed with my brother and his family. And we came just for three days. And then when they were, I guess, two, we brought them. And we started traveling with them, and we'd come maybe once a year, and we'd come for an extended period of time, maybe for you know a couple of weeks, and we'd rent a house off property and just stay. And it was really such a freeing experience. Sammy and Joseph had a disability, um, and... Some things in life were not so easy for them. But when we would come to Disney, the people who worked here, and I guess the way that it was structured at the time, it was like it was easier for us to be at Disney with them than it was to be at home. It was people would go out of their way to make sure that they were getting what they needed and that we got what we needed, and just in terms of lines or meeting characters or or just the attention to service that we would get. I mean, it felt like, you know, at home, it was harder to be a kid with a disability. Here, it was easier to be a kid with a disability. So it was a it was a really freeing experience for us. And so we traveled with them. I think we took five trips with Sammy and Joseph, and it was really a wonderful time. And so we have a lot of memories of that. And then later, after our, older, our younger son, Max, was born, we'd come with him and Joseph, and then just with Max. Um, and so it was always just a, a really warm experience. Um, and we had we had kind of talked about moving here for years and years, even since Sammy and Joseph were very young, when they're two or three years old. We, like, we were like, you know, we like it there so much that we should just move there. Maybe it would be an easier life for us. And for a lot of reasons, family being really the main one, we didn't want to leave St. Louis. Um, but as things changed over the years, we thought, about four years ago, maybe this is the time to do it, and it's time for a change of pace. And so here we are. Wow. And it sounds like it sounds like you're really making the most of it too. Like you you get over there and in the, for a lunch break, you get a good walk in. Do you still have the same feeling when you go there as you did with your kids? 
it's it's very different. And and really, even aside from the kids, it's different. You know, it's a different experience when you live somewhere, when you have access to something all the time, as opposed to when it's a special treat, um, whether it's going to the beach or whatever it is. But I mean, for us with Disney, when you're looking forward to it for the year and you get here and it's a real special thing and you go on Splash Mountain and it's such a unique experience that you haven't done in a year, that's one thing. And that's great for us. That's not that feeling anymore. And sometimes I see families walking around and it's their first trip there. And, and I see that excitement in their eyes and I get a little bit jealous of that because it's not that new, fresh feeling for us anymore, but it is still really fun. Um, it's just in a different way. And it, for me, I kind of joke, it's kind of like, it's kind of like going to the mall. It's like when you need something to do for a few hours, you can just go to Disney and take a nice walk and you're outside. And it's fun to be around people who are having fun. There's a real energy around being around people who are on vacation and are just there to be there with their families. It's just a nice, a nice, warm, loving feeling. And so I really enjoy that aspect of it, even if I've been on Winnie the Pooh a million times. <laughs> <laughs> so that is really, it's interesting. And I don't know if it's worth, you know, getting into at this point, but how much did, um, so I don't know if in the introduction, anybody heard and not to bring the conversation too far down, but, um, Lewis unfortunately lost two of his sons. Uh, and I'm wondering what role that played in your decision to move. Um, and even if you don't mind walking us through a little bit of, of that whole story. Sure. Well, just briefly, um, Sammy and Joseph were really such sweet boys and really bright and really smart um, and personable. They were about, I guess, at two years old, they were diagnosed with a condition called leukodystrophy, which affects the ability for the brain to send messages or, for, I guess, for, for parts of the body to receive messages from the brain. The brain would send those messages, but those messages really couldn't be received by different parts of the body. So they had difficulty walking. They had difficulty speaking. Um, but they were very healthy kids. They didn't spend time in the hospital or anything like that. And, um, you know, I really felt, and we gave them everything that we could give them in terms of helping them achieve independence, all the tools and resources they needed. And I remember I felt sometimes like they didn't even have a disability. I just felt like they were so independent and such had such strong personalities um, that I, I, their, their disability was often invisible to me. Um, so it was, anyway, so that happened around two, two years old when they got the, the diagnosis. Um, we, in, in that time, we moved from an inaccessible house with a garage entry uh, in the you know, basement entry garage. We built a new house in Olivet, which was all completely accessible for them, everything on one floor, wide hallways, large kitchen, you know, large doorways for them to get through easily. So um, that was a real nice change. But then Sammy passed away suddenly in 2007. Again, he had been very healthy, but he kind of caught this stomach bug and his system just couldn't handle it. And so within, must have been four or five days, he, um, you know, very suddenly took a bad turn. We went to the hospital and, and he passed away later that night. He was five and a half. And so we really didn't know at the beginning of the diagnosis because it was such a rare condition. We didn't know what the prognosis was for how long they would live. We had really no idea, and we didn't know what the end might look like. Um, 
So I feel really fortunate that Sammy, you know, he didn't suffer for a long time or anything like that. He was um, he was doing well and and alert up until I think really the last day when he just was very lethargic and tired. And we went to the hospital. Um, Joseph, on the other hand, was I felt like there were some close calls. You know, it's a tough thing when any when any time your child gets sick, you think that might be the end. I mean, just any time they get a cold and you think that might be it. It's really it puts you on on edge. Um, but he was very resilient, Joseph. He would get sick and he would bounce back. Um, and I don't mean get sick. I mean, he would just get like a stomach bug or something. And it's these normal things that kids get. But he would bounce back and he would be fine. And Rebecca and I had even kind of started planning for the future of like, you know, if he if he grows to be an adult, what kind of a living situation are we going to be in? We had even looked into maybe buying another property and all of that where we could build another house that would be more of a, a house for us and kind of a separate living quarters for for Joseph, so he could have some independent living, but we would be there as well. Um, but as it turned out, he passed away when he was 13 and a half. And it was kind of a similar story as uh, as Sammy. He had contracted like a little stomach bug or something um, on Monday. And by the end of the week, he had just kind of lost strength and strength through the week. And on Friday morning with Rebecca and I standing right there, he passed away. Yeah. At so, home? At home. Yeah, he was at home. It was, so it was, it was, you know, I was, I was real happy for him that he got to be at home. He didn't like hospitals. And fortunately, he didn't have to spend much time in hospitals. I think he spent maybe two or three nights in the hospital in his life. Usually nothing to do with the disability. Maybe it was something like he had been dehydrated from a stomach bug or something like that. Um, so, you know, I was thankful for that and that they had both lived these, you know, very, productive and full lives, despite a pretty significant stability. Um, but as time went by, and, and our older son, our, I'm sorry, our younger son, Max, got to meet Joseph. Um, he was five years old when Joseph passed away. He never got to meet Sammy. But we did travel to Disney with Max and Joseph a few times. And they had such a great time there and they loved talking about it together and they'd come home with toys and they would play together. They'd play with these monorail sets they had. And it was just a real, I don't know. It was, it was a real warm thing for them to share together. They shared a lot of things together, but that was one of them. And so I'm, I'm really fortunate that, you know, that they feel fortunate that they had that experience together. But anyway, after, after Joseph passed away, there wasn't really anything that was truly keeping us in St. Louis at that point. Um, my brother and his family had moved out to California. And I always felt like in the Goldman family, you didn't move. You stayed in St. Louis and that was that. And so when he moved to California with his family, it kind of gave me a little permission to start thinking about eventually moving somewhere else. And so after Joseph passed away, we stayed in St. Louis for a couple of years. We didn't want to move right away. But around 2017, we decided to take six months and just kind of move down to Florida as a as a trial and see what we thought of it. And so we did. And we had a great time. Uh, when we came back to St. Louis, though, we thought, you know, that was a fun six month experience. I don't know if we'll go back. Um, but after a few months, we started the bug kind of started to get to us again. And we're like, yeah, let's start looking at houses. And so here we are in sunny Florida, 15 minutes from the Disney World parking lot. Wow. Um, but, you know, so I guess something else that that I was feeling in the couple of years after Joseph passed away in St. Louis 
there were so many memories that we had. I mean, obviously, you have, want to have good memories of your children, if that's the case. And we did have good memories of them. But they, uh, living in St. Louis, you would, you would be in surroundings and drive by places that were difficult and painful, like driving by a place where there was a doctor's office where we used to go a lot, or... I don't know, even just some of the more mundane things that we would do with them on a regular basis that's, that now had somewhat of a maybe negative connotation is too strong of a word, but, but maybe not the most pleasant of connotations. And so what I found when, when living here for the six months and what I felt since living here is that I, I have really strong memories of both of them and connections with them anytime I go to Disney or even when I'm not at Disney. But the memories that I have here and the feeling that I have here is not one of sadness. It's really something that's very positive. Whereas in St. Louis for a while, I would drive around, I'd feel kind of, I just kind of feel down, a little, you know, a little blue sometimes. Um, and it's, it's unpleasant to live that way. Mm-hmm. And so I really feel much happier here uh, and much more positive. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy with the move. I'm happy with the move. And and Max always comments, too. I mean, it, you get used to the weather here very quickly. <laughs> yeah. We were walking out to the bus stop, I don't know, not too long ago, a few months ago. And it was probably January. And it was maybe 55 degrees or something like that. And Max is like, wow, it is so cold out. And I looked at my phone like, you know, it's 7 in St. Louis right now. Right. Oh you get used to it awfully fast. No, I just think it it does say so much about a place holding a certain energy, you know, with certain memories attached to it. And sometimes I do believe when you remove yourself from it, it doesn't change the memories and change the past, but there's there's a different energy that comes with it. And, and now when you're there, you're, you know, you're able to really relax into that sort of positive place with with the with the memories. Um, of you know the the good times. The thing that I'm so struck by, Lewis, and and you know, I just for our listeners, Lewis was very cognizant and was like, I don't want this to be about sad, sad, sad. What I have to get to though before we get off this topic is how I think so many parents out there, you know, you hear if you lose a child, you never get over it. You never get over it. And I have to say, you seem to have, I don't want to say have gotten over it, but you seem at peace somehow. I don't know how, it's just a vibe I'm getting. And I don't know if it's the choices you made to embrace what has happened and make the most of it and 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 think about him in Disney World. Like, there's a part of me that feels like I'd go to Disney World and I'd be sobbing every time I went there. So I, I really would love it if you could just talk about that, not because I want us to be sad, but I want to talk about how people get through these really unimaginable times in their lives. It, it just, I, I, I'm really curious about that if you don't mind talking about it. Yeah, sure. Well, a couple of things. First of all, when you're, when you're in your 20s, as I was when I met Rebecca, you don't know what you're going to get into in life. You don't know what you're going to find. And you really, you make the best judgment you can about the partner that you're choosing to be with, but you don't know how that's exactly going to turn out. But I'm just really thankful that I was with Rebecca and that she's as strong as she was and that I was as strong as that I was because we would have moments while they were alive or, or after one or both of them had passed away when we would feel pretty down. And 
it, it seemed, whether it was luck or the other person just stepping up to help the other, um, it would feel that when I was down, she would be up, or when she would, when if she was down, then I would be up. I mean, we were often both up at the same time. I'm not meaning like that. But in moments when I was needing support, she was very strong in supporting me. And I, and I, from what she tells me, I did a good job of reciprocating. And so that, I mean, I think that's probably the most important thing to have a partner who will, you know, get through it with you. Because I, we did, unfortunately, see where having children with, with significant disabilities could really tear a family apart. And so I'm just really thankful that, um, that we were able to, to help it make us stronger as opposed to tear us apart. I don't, I don't know what I owe that to other than maybe just some dumb luck um, or, or maybe from the, the, the example that our parents had set for us in terms of what it means to be a loving and supportive parent um, and, and partner. But anyway, so I think that's got to be the, the biggest part of it. The other part is you don't you don't get to choose what happens to you in life, but you can certainly choose how you react. And so tough things happen to people. It's not always easy to make a positive decision. And every decision I've made certainly has not been positive. But on the whole, I think Rebecca and I have pushed ourselves to make productive and positive decisions as opposed to wallowing in something that's that's not healthy. Again, I guess it really comes back to us being there for each other, probably more than anything else, and having the support of family and the community. Um, I think that's it. And the other thing that you just mentioned, you used the word impossible, these impossible situations. But it's a funny thing because when it happens to you, it's no longer impossible. It's mm. the reality. And so you have, to, you have to deal with it. You have to either step up and deal with it in a positive way, or you're going to or you're going to make some sort of a choice that's not going to be healthy for you or your family. And I'm not judging. I mean, people do what they do in these difficult situations. And it's, it is really, really tough. Um, so I, I don't know, but it's interesting to use the word impossible because for us, it was not impossible. It was the reality. Well, I think that's, that's such an important point. I mean, what can you talk a little bit about your relationship? Like, like was it had was it always like that? Did you kind of grow together to kind of you know gain that strength to help each other? Or I think Rebecca and I were always very uh, you know we we make we make good decisions together. When we think about something, I think we've been able to make good and healthy and strong decisions together. And I think that's such an important thing. We don't we haven't argued about like. I want to do this major thing in life. I want to do this major thing in life. We've really been in sync. And again, I can't say if that's just dumb luck or if it's um, if it's just we've kind of grown together over the years. And certainly there are things where she wants to go on a vacation here. I would want to go on a vacation there, whatever, that kind of thing. But I mean, in terms of life decisions, we've really, for the most part, been very much um, in sync. I, I don't know. I don't know if I can really answer. I don't know if I know. If it's if it's something that we actively did, or if it's just the way that fate, you know, put us on this path together. So I have to just step back, and again, Lewis, if you don't feel comfortable answering this, that's that's fine. I, you know, up until the time that um, Sammy passed away at five and a half, I would imagine that you weren't day to day thinking, oh, they could pass away. You didn't know. It sounds like. And then suddenly it gets a stomach flu and you're in, you're sitting there and your son is gone. 
I guess I'm trying to understand, um, did you feel sorry for yourself? Did you meet, like, how did you get up the next day? And I, I'm sorry to bring you to that point, but for me, what is so, I ask, I, I think a lot of people, because you can get stuff in your head. You can say it's what life comes to you and you can get it in your head that you should, or it's healthy, but to actually behave and move through it is what I am so impressed by. Does that make sense? Right. It does make sense. It does make sense. Um, Rebecca and I, I mean, we're, we're Jewish, and we um, we follow a lot of traditional Jewish practices. And those practices really lay out a very prescriptive path for when a family member passes away, whether it's a, a sibling or a parent or a child. And we we really followed that structure. And that structure forces you to get up. Hmm. And it forces mm. you so to be around people. you're talking like Shiva, the seven yeah, days. Yeah, Shiva, Shiva and the Shloshim. So Shiva are, are the first seven days after the person passes away. Um, and then the Shloshim, Shloshim is just the Hebrew word for 30. And that's the first 30 days after a person passes away. And that's the mourning period for a sibling or for a, a child who has passed away. Um, and, and as part of you that, do? you have to get up. As part of that, you have to get up every morning and, and daven, pray. Mm -hmm. you, and that starts at 7 a.m. So you have to get yourself out of bed. There's no laying in bed and wallowing around. You have to get up. You have to get dressed. You have to shower. You have to go to either at, if at home for the first few days or at the synagogue for the next 30 days. And you have to go twice a day and be around people. And there are people to comfort you and people to, you know, just be with you. And it's you know, I can't imagine having having gone through it without that process because I can see where it would be so easy to just lay in bed and be depressed. Now, I will say, when Sammy passed away, we had Joseph still who needed us to take care of him. Mm -hmm. And when Joseph passed away, we had Max, who was just five and a half years old, and he needed us to take care of him. Um, so that obviously provides a strong motivator, too. Mm -hmm. How did you, did you feel angry at all? I feel like on every podcast I add this, I think I might be the world's angriest person. I don't think of myself that way, but I feel like I'd be so angry. Well, I think you do go through the stages of loss and anger is one of them. Yeah, you thank know, you, but... Jenny. Thank you for making me feel better. <laughs> go on, Lewis. Right. I, to be honest, I remember being, feeling anger around the time when they had got their diagnosis when they were two. Mm -hmm. I don't remember feeling anger when they passed away. Because who am I going to be angry at? Or what am I going to be angry at? But I, I, I mean, obviously, I remember feeling sad and disappointed and a lot of emotions. I don't know if I remember angry being one of them. And do you feel, I know it's not a very Jewish thing to believe in, like, the afterlife and that kind of thing. Do you believe in that you'll, there, do you feel like a connection to their souls or spirit in any way or not? Oh, I mean, I certainly feel a connection to their spirit, and they are ever present in my life. In my life, both of them are ever present in my life, and will always be. Um, and whether it's just riding on Winnie the Pooh at the Magic Kingdom, and I feel them there with me, or if I'm, you know, if I'm playing the piano sometimes, and it's a piece that they enjoyed listening to, or watching something on TV that they enjoyed, like um, Max right now is in a production of Willy, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. He plays Grandpa Joe in that, and. Um, they both loved that. And actually, kind of a funny thing, they didn't mind scary stuff in movies. And there's that scary tunnel scene in yes. the Gene Wilder movie, and kids are freaked out by that. And they would just love that scene, and they would laugh and laugh and laugh. 
And I remember they had an older cousin at the time. I think they must have been like four years old and their cousin was maybe six or seven. And he came over and he saw them watching that scene. And he said, how can they sleep at night? You know, what, something I was just going to add, something that yeah. Rebecca talked about. And I think she may have had some comments on this at Joseph's funeral. I might be getting this a little wrong. But she said something like that, that Joseph had taught her that, that it's okay to remember people who passed away and smile and laugh. Because when, when Joseph would remember Sammy, he would never seem to be sad about it. He would, he would share fond memories and, and, you know, smiling memories and laughing memories. And so I think, you know, I think Joseph helped us out a lot with, uh, with that as well. I think kids naturally just have a way of looking at the bright side, you know, and looking at um, and being resilient and, and not necessarily wallowing, you know, just it, it, just their nature is to be more present, more in the moment. I feel like, you know, when everyone thinks of Disneyland or Disney World, you know, as the happiest place on earth, or you can be, you know, cynical about it. But when you think, when you actually go, I mean, I went recently to Disneyland and it's like this part, I was like, oh my God, I want to stay here. It's like, you know, we all want to go to a place where uh, we feel happy, right? right? And we feel like our imagination can kind of just be. And that, you know, I mean, that's, I guess, how it started, what, right? With Walt Disney drawing a mouse and take, I mean, who knew what would, what he would create. But I think that for you, it's just become this, kind of like, I don't want to say retreat, I don't want to say escape, but just a place where you have permission to remember your sons writing Winnie the Pooh. And it just is so beautiful, really, that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the, one of the things that I really do enjoy about Disney when I go is there are a lot of families there and there are a lot of couples there and you see a lot of, you know, you see proposals on Main Street and that's fun. But one of my favorite things to see is when I see somebody there just by themselves. And I see a person, usually it's somebody who lives locally, might be somebody who's traveled there by themselves, but usually somebody who lives locally and they're just kind of like me. And they're like, I've got a busy life and I'm just going to take a few hours and I'm going to go to the Magic Kingdom. And they're just all dressed up from head to toe in their Disney stuff. And they've got their Disney hat and their Disney earrings and their Disney necklace, and their Disney shirt, and their Disney leggings and the whole thing. And they're just waiting for the castle show to start. And then it starts. And I mean, and just like me, you know, the eyes light up and they've seen it a hundred times, but there it is again. And there's Mickey Mouse dancing around on the stage. And it's just so much fun. And it is, it's this release. And um, I've just got, you know, 20 minutes now that I can kind of let go and meditate and just be in this moment. So it well, is really nice. It's funny because we've talked so much on this podcast about choices you know you can either choose fear or faith i believe is your famous it's not your famous quote but <laughs> your famous quote you're, you quote of someone else saying that ethically. and i feel like sometimes in our daily life we forget to even see i mean we've talked about being present and like i can remember when i moved to new york and you know i'm from the midwest and i moved to new york and i was on the subway all the time and one day i was like you know what i think i'm going to walk i lived in brooklyn and i was i worked downtown and i was like you know i think i'm going to walk across the brooklyn bridge i just i feel like i need to switch it up i can't stand the subway i'm going to walk and i remember feeling like i was on 
they had these wood slats on the Brooklyn Bridge. And it reminded me of being like on a, like being in a Disney world where you're like on a set. It didn't even feel real. Do you know what I mean? It was like, and I was like, wow, I could have been doing this all along. Like you forget that there are these things in life that are there if you just make a left turn instead of a right turn. And I feel like, Lewis, you've kind of said, you know what, I'm not going to forget about the left turn. I'm not going to forget about Disney. I'm going to make sure I incorporate that into my life. And I think it's so healthy. I was just going to say, I don't, I don't go nearly as much. You know, when you first move here, you go all the time. I mean, I would go every chance I get. They closed for a while for COVID and then kind of reopened slowly. And things are a little bit different now in many respects. Um, and I don't go quite as often as I used to. And I was telling somebody, oh, I, I hardly go to Disney at all anymore. And they say, well, how many, how often do you go? I said, maybe twice a week. <laughs> that's, all. That's, that's all I go to Disney. So, no, I mean, there are a lot of other things that we just enjoy about Florida, just the outdoor lifestyle, that the weather is so great and you can exercise outside all year, ride your bike or go out to the pool or whatever. So it's just, it's really nice. One of the kind of the fun things that I do like to do there is kind of keep my ears open for when I hear people say funny things, like just guests, funny things out of context. And so Rebecca and I both have this little ink pad on our phones. And whenever we hear something, we write down the quote. And like when I get maybe a hundred of these, maybe we'll publish a book with, you know, funny things overheard. Can you give us an example? Um, Oh yeah, sure. Things like, if you keep eating that map, we're going to have to take it away. Um, or, oh, and, then, and then there are a lot of ba- there are a lot of bathroom-based ones too. There are things like, um, and I'm looking at my list now. It's just a little wee-wee. I'll clean it up. <laughs> and then some of these are very puzzling. I heard somebody say, "Oh, where is it? I want to get it exactly right." He says, "I'm not in the beer mood until I change my shirt." <laughs> okay. What, whatever that means. Whatever that means. Speaking of books that will be written, let's talk about the book that you actually did write. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. When I was a kid, um, really as as early as I can remember, you know, three, four, five years old, my dad would tell me and my older brother bedtime stories. And usually he would fall asleep in the middle of telling them to us. But they were (laughs) very wild adventure stories, and they usually were around a central character whose only name was the little boy. And I think my dad had that name, so it wouldn't be identified either as me or my brother. We could both identify with him. And the little boy was being chased and captured by this evil mad scientist who wanted to turn the little boy into bubble gum. <laughs> oh my God. Now, it seems to me maybe that wasn't the best thing to tell your kids right before they're gonna go to bed. But my brother and I didn't seem scared by it. And my dad told it in a very humorous and funny way. And it was filled with all these crazy characters. You had the mad scientist, and he had his accomplices. One of the accomplices was Veronica Viggle, and he would build them up um, and, and really bring them to life. The little boy had these friends, the little girl, and Junior Mistake. And <laughs> they would go on these wild adventures, and the mad scientist would capture the little boy and put him in a sack and bring him back to his laboratory, and he's about to turn him into bubble gum. And then the, uh, the little boy's friends would come in and rescue him. Maybe Max the Ghost would be there or Gus the Inventor, or Junior Mistake, or the little girl, and they would rescue the little boy from the mad scientist's clutches. And so he would tell these crazy wild stories to me and my brother. And about two years ago, I was on a bike ride, and I thought, 
and for years I thought, you know, this would really make a cute book to tell one of these stories and put it in book form. And so I had the idea to actually write one out. And I found a, an artist to work with, a, a graphic novel illustrator to work with. And we partnered on this and, um, and created this graphic novel book. That is maybe 75, 80 pages or so. Um, book of a mad scientist story, Veronica Viggle and the Bubblegum Machine. And Aww. it goes through and just tells the story. And it's kind of a story within a story. On the first page is actually depictions of these two little boys, and their mom is kissing them goodnight. And they're saying, tell daddy we want to hear a mad scientist story. And so the dad is exhausted after a long day of work, as my dad would be. But he would come in dutifully, and he would tell these great stories. And I don't think I'd put in here where he would fall asleep because sometimes he would kind of doze off in the middle of the story and we'd have to poke him and wake him up. But he would often not know what he was going to say next. And one of my favorite parts of the story is um, he says, now there's something extraordinarily important that you need to know about Gus the inventor. And that is that he always has with him a very small yet very large item. So he doesn't even know where the story's going. He's just drawing <laughs> it out and making it up and making it up as he goes along. I love that. Um, and I think that's part of the fun of the book. And the illustrations that, that, this, uh, that this artist did are just incredible and really helped bring it to life. I, bought, so I bought the book and my son and I loved it. So everyone, I, I highly recommend that you go out and get it. It's, a, it's really a wonderful book. Did your dad get to see it? Oh, yeah, yeah. My dad has seen it. Um, and, uh, yeah, he loves it. And my, my brother saw it as well. Um, and, uh, it's, it's a family favorite. As it should be. It yeah. Should be. Well, I think I get this whole, uh, like vibe just about even you as a little boy listening to these kind of imaginative stories and your dad kind of like being, you know, tired from work and telling you these stories just plants such a seed of, you know, the imagination and that the imagination can take us in so many different directions and places. And that's really what our dreams are. They, they kind of come alive and they, they tell these stories every night in our, in our unconscious. And, but the imagination, just the way you kind of people watch at Disney world, you know, like all these people, just the ones that are by themselves, especially dressed up in their garb and everything it's it's as if they're looking at life through that lens as well you know that we can we can look at life through these colorful lenses of the the bubblegum machine and all of that you know that like things can things will happen but uh, i just really appreciate um even you you know telling the story and 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 sharing that with us knowing the backdrop of your life and the way that you chose to to move to Florida and look at, look at um, what happened um, with Rebecca in a way that, you know, cause some people I, you know, uh, and I work with people all the time, have things like this happen and aren't able to look at it like that and go through years of depression and just can't get past it. Well, I think I've always been interested in executing. I've always been interested in doing things. Yes. I haven't necessarily been interested in learning every single reason about why something is done. Like, for example, I was really into, as you know, into musical theater in high school and in college. And I liked putting on those shows. So we would do a show like Godspell by Stephen Schwartz. And 
I, you know, I couldn't tell you that I was a, a, a very knowledgeable person about the history of that show or about Stephen Schwartz or about what went into writing that show or creating that show. I think some people who are into musical theater would really want to know that. They want to know the history of musical theater and all of that. And that's great stuff to know. And perhaps had I known that stuff, it would have informed my decision so I could have made an even better show. I don't know. But I was always really focused on the execution of something. And I think that's how I've really approached my life, um, that I, I like to do things. I like to get things done, whether it's a book or it's a show or it's something with my family. I like to make decisions and start doing things. Um, I think you can get bogged down and is this the right thing? Is this the right time? You know, there's never going to be the perfect time or the perfect place. If you have an idea that's going to be a productive idea and a, a positive idea, a good change in your life, why not why not try it? And you know, the other thing that I that I think about sometimes is I'll hear people, and I guess because I'm in Florida and I hear people on vacation a lot, but I'll hear people say, Well, this is our last day, and then it's time to get back to reality. But the fact of the matter is, I think this is the reality. You're here now with your family. That's the reality. Sitting in a cubicle or sitting in your office or sitting in your home office these days. That's not, I mean, that's reality too. But what's more important? What are the important moments? So people, I think, I don't know, I guess to focus on what's really important in life and make decisions that will let you do those things. I remember talking to my dad a long, long time ago. I mean, I think Sammy and Joseph were babies. And I said, I just want to focus on spending time with my family and going to Disney World. <laughs> so that's what I've done. I mean, I just have to say, if, you know, it's so interesting because you're right, Lewis. You've always, if you've had an idea, you've done it and you haven't let anything stand in your way, which is impressive in and of itself. But what I find so holistic about what you're talking about, which really is moving to me, you know how, and I'd love you to talk about this because I know you know a lot about Judaism, um, but you know, Jewish people, when someone passes away, say it's a blessed memory. They say, you know, or may his memory or her memory be a blessing. And it's interesting because, and Jenny, you've said this, memory is in the present, right? So what we make of the memories of the past is right there with us in the day. And it's funny because you're pragmatic, you do things, you go to Disney World, but you have the memory of your father reading, you know, creating those stories for you. And you have the memory of your children at Disneyland. And I'm just interested in how memory and what role memory plays in your in your daily life? I don't know if I think about it so much in memory because we have memories. And I kind of like, Jenny, that you mentioned about it, that memory is in the present because I think that's how I think about it. I think of it less as memory and more about connection. Yeah. I think about connecting to uh, Sammy and Joseph and, and my mom who passed away. Uh, it's coming up on 10 years. It's hard to believe. Uh, my brother who passed away a couple of years ago. But I have these moments. You have these moments whether it's something silly like at, at Disney or if it's something more meaningful and you're experiencing that moment and suddenly you just feel their presence. Now there, and that can be of varying degrees. I, and I think that's true for all of us. You can, feel, you can feel a connection with somebody just in that I'm watching this movie and they liked this movie too. And so I have that connection with them. Or you can really feel a very strong physical connection. You're in the middle of something and you just feel like they're over your shoulder. Well, I, I think that's so that's so true. And I think that if more people live their life based on that feeling of connection, because I think, you know, we're only here for such a temporary time. 
And I think guests that we've had on the podcast who have lost parents at a young age or, you know, the ones that really like thrive in their life, they are able to see it this way, that they had this incredible connection with this person or, you know, in this time of their life. And that person is still fully present with them at the time that they knew them. And, and it's, it's fueled by their emotions as well. So, you know, when you get tingles or like, you're like, oh my, like, and you just feel these waves of emotion. And, and, and that's just a reminder that that person really made an impact on you and you made an impact on that person. And isn't that what it's all about, right? You know, just because the opposite of connection, they say is obviously um, emptiness and which, which is turns into some sort of addiction or negative way of thinking. Um, addicts say that the opposite of addiction is connection because they don't have a connection to anything other than something that's fuel, fueling something negative in them and, and have, causing them to escape. But I think that this positive connection and connected to memory um, is so much about kind of a mindfulness practice. And it feels to me that your mindfulness practice is going to Disney World. Mm -hmm. And I've heard that from a lot of different people. And there is a whole thing right now in meditation where they're starting to use virtual reality to take people to uh, certain places that it's almost like an escape, but it's also a being present and having this feeling, this overwhelming feeling of connection. Really, it's a metaphor for life you know, that we all have that opportunity, like Carrie had the opportunity to walk on that bridge rather than take the subway, you know, to, I have the opportunity to go to the beach, but do how often do I go? I mean, <laughs> well, and, and, and like, that's what Lewis said about, he likes to do things. And I think it's the combination of having a good mindset and then taking action because you can have a good mindset, but just not get out of your bed every day. What he True. has done is, you know what? I'm going to move to Disney World. And you know what? I'm going to go to Disney World twice a week, even if that's not as much as I used to go. And I'm going to turn, I'm going to make a left turn instead of a right turn. Um, no, I was just saying, you know, there are, you talk about meditation and there's so many different ways that you can do it. And you can do it among a group of, you know, 50,000 people at Disney. I mean, as you know, I've played the piano for years and years and years. And even as a teenager, I remember sitting and playing the piano and just getting lost in it and using that as a meditative moment. And of course, time with family can be meditative. So I, I feel like, for me anyway, I need that alone time when I'm just alone. I need that alone time in a crowd. I need that time with family. I need that time with friends. Um, and it, I guess it all just comes together. I don't know if it's living a balanced life or what it is. I never yeah. really think of it in, that term, in those terms, but just a lot of different ways to kind of, to just be. Yeah, I mean, Lewis, I have to just say, like, you were impressive in high school, but you 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 rocked my world with your impressiveness as a as an adult. <laughs> and for those who know, I mean, Lewis and I were talking about this before the podcast. You know, we we've been out of touch for many many years, and it's amazing how I just I, I don't I feel this connection. And I speaking of connections, and I feel like it's it's crazy how I mean I really respect you, Lewis, in so many ways. I just I feel so like uh, like I really do feel like there's a lot you're teaching me. I mean I know that sounds kind of corny, but it's true. And since we're talking about Disney World, I figure I can be corny if I want. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I definitely want you to write that book. I want you to write that book about because I feel like 
the juxtaposition of those random thoughts in the middle of this like you know sort of perfect sort of little place and then there's these hysterical comments we've got the ink pad on our phones and we keep adding to it so i don't know when i get to some magic number i'm looking at the list i'm up to 58 right now rebecca wants to do do it like a a tear-off calendar but we'd have to get to 365 for that so i'm not sure yeah, that would be actually really good. Oh, that's anyway, really cute. Lewis, I just want to thank you so much for your time today and your incredible insights and really for your friendship and inspiration. You're, you're, you've been a really wonderful friend and guest. So thank you so much for joining us. And to our listeners, thank you as well for listening today. If you would like what you heard, please be sure to subscribe wherever you download your podcast. To learn what we're all about, visit us at themidnightramblings.com where you too can become a pansomniac. And of course, be sure to tell your friends because your support is necessary to make this thing take off. So for the Midnight Ramblings, this is Carrie Ofstein Rosenthal and Jenny Silverstein. Thank you again for joining us. We'll see you next time and be sure to get Lewis's book on Amazon. Bye. Thank you.